Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to Feeling Free. My name is Ben, your host, and today we have Searsha Clare, who is also known as the Starseed Coach. So if you are interested in multidimensionality, starseeds, if you feel like you're from another planet or even more interested in your humanness on a soul level and beyond a soul level, <laughs> this is the episode for you. And even if you're interested in learning how to heal and move beyond grief. Um, we discussed her story, which is incredibly interesting, heartwarming, heart-moving, inspiring, and will for sure provide provide you guidance in your own grief journey. And so I'm so excited to have Searsha here. And let's dive into this bad boy. If you haven't heard already, I just announced my next retreat. That is October 7th through 10th in Sundance, Utah. This is a luxury wellness and spirituality retreat. So if you feel like meeting your soul family, if you feel like uh, being in this gorgeous mountain landscape, four private acres of pristine nature, doing some yoga, doing some mind-blowing and heart-opening uh, workshops. Uh, we have some special things in store. This is our biggest and best retreat yet. So if you feel like immersing yourself into this environment and you feel that call inside your heart, go to the link in the description so you can apply and we will reach out to you. So go to the link in the description or just go to feeling-free.com slash events if you want to attend our next retreat. There are limited spots and we are we have a hundred we have over a hundred people on the wait list, so it's for sure gonna sell out. So if you know that this is for you, make sure you apply today. All right, y'all, let's get into this episode. Welcome to the Feeling Free Podcast. My name is Ben Harris, also known as the Fear Guy. My job is to help you feel more free in your life with love and relationships, self-worth, and much more. I'm happy you're here. I love you. I believe in you. Let's break free from fear together. All right. So we've been chatting for about 30 plus minutes. <laughs> and before we begin, I want to let this beautiful human introduce herself because I have a fear of pronouncing her name wrong. And I, I will admit it just like this, <laughs> the Starbucks people. So... Here we are. Introduce <laughs> Thanks, yourself. Yeah. So my name is Searsha Claire McGovern. Searsha. Yes, Searsha. See, we're all are saying this together, Searsha. Yes. <laughs> I, pre I appreciate that. I appreciate uh -huh. the care that you're taking and pronouncing my name. Mm -hmm. So I am the author and the architect of the Starkotype system which is a system that essentially lets starseeds know which of 12 galactic imprints they hold that can help them liberate themselves from being too focused on their lineage and provide a sense of purpose while accomplishing our shared ascension mission. I love that. So why would, why do you say too focused on lineage? Yeah. So if you, if you were, somewhat unfamiliar with what a star seed is or if you're someone <laughs> yeah okay maybe we should start there then yeah just like so because the people listening a lot of them will know yeah. but there's a good portion who maybe have just heard of it and then some people who don't know right yeah so star seeds are people humans beings <laughs> yeah right 
who have had past lives on other planets or in some other part of the galaxy, and then their point of origin is not Earth. So I would have a sense, or maybe not, of where my point of origin is, and that's what we refer to as lineage. So up until, you know, the Starkotype system came out, if you were to mm. Google what is a starseed, you would likely find a lot of information around how to figure out what planet you are from. Yeah. So you might be a Lyran, or you might be an Arcturian, or you might have a connection to Sirius. And, and Pallad Palladians. Yes. And a lot of those are very, they're nebulous concepts because in order to really trace your lineage, you could look at some of the markers that you have in your natal chart, or you could consult a medium and see if you have any sort of guides come through and tell you. But that's kind of where the buck stops, right? Because you learn a little bit about your past, but then you're still left with this question of like, well, why am I here? If I oh, had this yeah. past life on another planet, or I've had multiple past lives on other planets, then why the heck did I come to earth? And one of the big starseed struggles that I believe a lot of us share is not really feeling at home in our human bodies, mm -hmm. because there is a sense our whole lives that there is something foreign about it. So, when you're overly concerned with figuring out where you're from, instead of actually being in this life that you have here now and making the most of it, I believe and the messages that I have received over and over again is that that is actually by design. It's designed to disempower us and to, to dim our light essentially. Distract so that, us. Yeah, it's a distraction so that we're not unified in our shared purpose and our truth which the language of the galaxy is love it's universal love mm. and so if everyone who is a starseed was fully activated in living through that core frequency of love our planet would probably look a little bit different than it does that's right dope now. so so the simple like just like a starseed is obviously human because that's the, we're listening but you come from a different planet or it could be would you even say not even a planet in some in some cases yeah absolutely yeah just from anywhere else but earth so yes. what percentage of human beings that are currently alive would you estimate or do you know are yeah. starseeds versus that's, not it's so funny that you're asking me that because i was asked that question on a podcast recently uh -huh. and um when i said my answer he was like whoa really so i think it's <laughs> i think that it's 30 percent, and that it's actually going to increase so 30 percent of people are starseeds yes i firmly believe somewhere around that mark there are way 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 more of us than we are aware of and then probably out of those, that 30%, so that couple billion yeah. people or one point, whatever, how many people know, do you think? Like, like 0. 0.0001, you know, mm -hmm. very like small. very small fraction. Yeah. But that's changing. Like I, I am seeing evidence of it changing the people that are in my community or even mm -hmm. not that our star seeds are seeing very tangible evidence that 
more and more of us are waking up and activating. So, um, man, I'm already having so much fun. So with, I guess the next natural question would be, well, why are star seeds here? Yes. So I have two answers for this. So the first answer is on the surface to help humanity. It's to help raise the vibration of the planet. So we have this knowledge of having the other purview, being in another life or being in another point in space time of observing the energetics on earth and saying like, man, they like, they really need some help. Right. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so, um, that's point a, but point B that is really starting to come into focus right now is the main reason why we are having such an issue here with humanity living through the frequency of love is because of the point that we are at on the singularity timeline. Hmm. And there are a lot of AI constructs that are also starting to be activated and, you know, artificially activated. And we're going to reach a point of convergence where it's going to be organic, authentic energy, galactic energy, universal energy versus human created energy and sentience. Interesting. And so I believe that one of the main reasons why so many star seeds A are here now and B are waking up is to essentially be on the front lines of this energetic, I would say conflict that mm. it's occurring right now, but it's it's definitely nowhere near the point that it will be when we will have like a point of cognition of figuring out what is real and what is inauthentic. Yeah, and like this is this is first I compl I'm completely with you. Like, yes, this this is fun. This is cool. All these activations, all these knowings. But I love how you talk about not getting caught up in just like the distraction of, of like, where am I from? Or like, mm -hmm. what are my past lives? Because it's just more identities just to get caught up in and like right. take your attention, like what we talked about as a distraction. Right. So before we kind of, it's not completely a shift, but I guess my my preface to what we're going into would be, from your knowledge, how frequently does this happen where other beings from different um, systems will come to another system or planet? Like I know we'll like bloop in and out, mm -hmm. you know, but like as far as like coming for us, like starseed specifically to come and like, okay, Earth is having some trouble. Because for some reason, I, I've been thinking about this recently of like, Cause we always talk about like earth needing help, mm -hmm. but I've, you know, like all these star seeds and people coming in to help because it's like an important centerpiece mm -hmm. for the galaxy or for the universe. But I, but I'm curious, do you know, and it, it's kind of arbitrary because it could, it's could be limitless uh, right of how, of how many planets like we've kind of other systems and planets have stepped in to like help mm -hmm. ascend mm -hmm. or aid and, and guide. Yeah. But from, from your um, perspective, what, what do you know or see? Yeah. I think that it is limitless because it's all happening at once. Mm -hmm. Like everything that is happening here is also happening in another part of the universe concurrently. 
like everything that ever has or will happen is happening right now. <laughs> yep. Sam and I got really meta really fast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I do think that it is it is limitless. I don't think that you can confine it to, well, I'm having this experience on earth and as a being that has infinite potential and cannot be created or destroyed, mm -hmm. this is the only density experience that I'm going to have. Oof. So I know that I've had density experiences in other places and I am probably having a density ish experience in another realm right now but yeah. because we're here the contract that we're under with being on earth right now in 3d is that we are bound to density and if we tried to think about the ways that we exist in multiple planes at once we wouldn't be able to be here mm. it's just it's just not how it's not how we roll on earth right yeah. so and for people who haven't heard the word density, just like physical 3D yes, body. Yes, 3D and also seeing time in a linear mm -hmm. perspective, like past, present, future, not as an infinitum loop or yeah. as a construct that is happening at different cadences and speeds on different levels at all times. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, it's so interesting. Like, Thank you for answering that because I thought of that recently. I was like, because we do hear all the time, like just like earth, 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 which makes sense because mm -hmm. we are here, mm -hmm. which to be present, right? But yeah. sometimes, I mean, so star seeds, like we are quote unquote special, but I think sometimes that gets into like even like a savior mentality and I've right. speak for myself mm -hmm. of like, I came here for a special purpose Right. And I need to do this. Da, 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 da. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I love that you brought that up. That is, I believe, a lesson that everyone needs to come to at some point, because you start to realize like when you're exploring the true nature of your multidimensionality, that yes, there are some really important energetics and constructs that we're working through right now and that like we're aiding in, we're helping but earth souls are doing the same thing. Mm. Everyone else is doing something similar. And at the end of the day, like you are not, you are not special. There's probably some people <laughs> that I would, I would say that to, and they'd be like really offended because uh -huh. I do, I do talk a lot about how, okay. In the starchetype system, we have 12 imprints and they're all unique in their own way because they're interdependent on one another. They're complementary. Mm. Then if you think about, our nature of, you know, being human is that we are interdependent on each other. We're in this human ecosystem, right? And so like that essentially means that we're all like little cogs in this chain and all of them have to be like functioning properly in order for this whole thing to work. So mm -hmm. to isolate yourself out of that chain and say, no, I don't really need to be a part of this and say that you are special is just, it's a fallacy. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, yeah, that that really is so interesting. Because yeah, and that that's so nuanced. Yeah, but there's still a way. See, that's that's the thing though too is there's still a way to really enjoy the heck out of your life mm -hmm. and have really deep and fulfilling relationships with other people and not carry the construct of specialness around with mm. you, like baggage. 
How? How much time do we have? <laughs> we have all the time. <laughs> cheers. We're just beginning. Yeah. Cheers. I guess I could tell this from, <laughs> I could tell this from my own personal experience, but I would say for anyone who is just listening and wants like a very baseline answer to that question, what you have to realize is kind of going back to what I was talking about before with the whole time thing. If the only thing that we're really able to physically perceive and experience while we are here is in the present moment and you deeply anchor yourself in that experience, that's the door. Mm. That is the doorway to incredibly deep connection and seeing the manifestation, the frequency of universal love in someone else. That, that to me is what is special. Mm. I love that. That was a cool answer. And because it's like, we are all special because at the end of the day, what you already mentioned is like the universal intelligence is love, mm -hmm. which no matter where you're from or what fractal you are or star, whatever is like, right. At the end of the day, you are that. Yes. And everyone is that. Yes. And the only way that you can experience that is to be present. There's no, Oof. there's no experience of the past. There's no experience of the future. Even if you can see things in your mind's eye, or if you can jump timelines or collapse time or shift or go into the void and experience the mm -hmm. multiverse in that way, you're still tethered to your body. Mm. Like the, the only thing that is truly real around you is what you have right now. So you're basically saying enjoy your humanness. Yeah, totally. I think that is that is the number one thing that I work with starseeds on over and over again is coming home to themselves mm -hmm. because we've thought for our whole lives or maybe for part of your life, like it hits you like a ton of bricks of, oh shit, this isn't actually my home, right? Mm -hmm. So we have this, this idea that we've internalized in some way that we're not home but the mm. reality of the situation is that your your body vessel this is the home that you chose for this lifetime so working with star seeds to bring them back to that place and find the understanding that is there find the empowerment like just trusting in your connection to your body and knowing that like this is this is where you're going to be for now right so you might as well have some fun and mm -hmm. make some friends and just kind of play and do whatever you want to do. Um, that's really fun. Like going mm -hmm. through that process is, is really fun because a lot of times starseeds will come to me and I lived this, like I lived mm -hmm. this through my childhood of I'm really tired of being the butt of every joke or feeling like I just do not fit in the people mm -hmm. that are around me. They don't, get me for some reason. And you have to be able to remove yourself from all of those thoughts of like, 
I don't have community. These people don't understand me. I feel mm. like an outsider. You've got to flip the script on yourself and see, well, in what ways have you made yourself the outsider? Oof, that's good. So I want to come back to that because I think that's such a, like, again, of what you're, I think we talked about this before we started recording, but taking accountability, accountability and responsibility for that because mm -hmm. that's been lost. Mm -hmm. But so that's, we'll jump into that, but just quick question, fun question. Have you seen, um, the series Loki on Disney plus? No. <laughs> so watch it. It's, just, it's okay. fun. But why is because it's all about that. They have a sacred timeline. Oh, cool. And all so right. they have like this association, I think it's called the timekeepers association where it's like, they literally police people that go off their timeline. Oh, that's real interesting because that's kind of like one of one of the Starkotype imprints. Mm. That's their job. They don't police people. They just see that it's happening. Mm. Yeah, but it's just, it was fun. I wanted to say that before I forgot. So Okay, I'll, I'll catalog that. <laughs> catalog. <laughs> so how do we... Man, because yeah, like, and this ties in with like, how is it unhelpful to just be stuck in like, like past lives and star seeds and like yeah. yes this is fun mm -hmm. information to know mm -hmm. but i'm like what for what you just mentioned of the people and yourself and so many of us myself included of um feeling like an outcast but doing that to ourselves and i love that you say that because i believe that fear does the exact thing it's trying to protect us from mm -hmm. so it's like that's what exactly in the scenario when people are mentioning it to you, that's what they're doing. Right. And so I would love to hear just some scenarios and how, how to empower yourself beyond that. Hmm. So you're saying something that you might be afraid of that would actually serve you to work through in some way. Well, so yes. Yeah, so, so first question is, I guess, why are people, how are people disempowering themselves uh, with okay. as a star seed when they yeah. say, I don't feel understood. People don't right. love me. I don't. Right. right. So that is what I like to call a galactic version of victim consciousness, just straight <laughs> up. Right. Yeah. Because at some point there is the inner knowing of there is something for me beyond this reality that I see right now. And I think that the, the earlier that you encounter that in your life and the more deeply you encounter the shame that happens when you voice that to mm -hmm. a parent or someone around you, right? And then you start internalizing that. That's what ends up spiraling into this like disempowered construct of, okay, well, if I couldn't experience that because that was not okay, for me to experience in some way, then all of my behaviors need to line up with what is expected of me. And mm -hmm. victim consciousness is a fragment of that. Like at the root of victim consciousness is this need for validation yeah. in some way. And validation is a hell of a drug, right? Like, oh, I know. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so if you keep getting, you know, caught up in, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to play this role in order for someone to give me this like false sense of support and emotion, then that's a loop that you can very, very easily 
get stuck in. So the loop of I don't fit in. Hmm. Well, what are you trying to fit into? And who told you that you needed to fit in there? Can we unpack that? Like, where did that come from? How did you learn that? Does it actually feel true to you in your entire body? Mm -hmm. Does it feel true to you when you are accessing your observer consciousness and you're actually like seeing all of this play out in density? I think that's really like, that's one of the biggest ones is this sense of like, well, I'm not, I'm not understood. Who Mm -hmm. needs to understand you? Really? Yourself. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's so fascinating. Because it's, it's, I love just the, how everything's tied in. I love hearing you talk about it from your point of view and what like your work. Because yeah, this person's fear of not being misunderstood, which is essentially just not being seen, not being lovable, Mm -hmm. not being good enough. Mm -hmm. But when you pointing out and asking the question of, well, where are you trying to fit in? Mm -hmm. Because they're afraid of not fitting in. But really what their fear is, how it's manipulating them, it flips it on their head of they're trying to fit in the place where they still don't fit in. So it's just, again, like you said, the loop of I'm trying to fit in, I'm not fitting in. I'm trying to fit in, but I'm not fitting in. Because it's like, this is the place I need to fit in and be understood when it's understand yourself. And there's so many other places that you will be understood. Yeah. And I, you know, I completely understand because it's such a, it's such a human emotion, you know, we, and I think that that's part of the resistance too. Starseeds come in to this body vessel that is very tribal in nature Mm -hmm. and depending on how they experienced whatever form that they were in before that might feel really foreign it might feel like okay why do i have these urges to be around other people who can give me that sense of belonging and love and then there's something else entirely that you have to unpack from there yeah this is cool like it's and this is such like a perfect timed conversation even for me like because I feel like over the past so we talked about um mutual friend Pilar and that was like not not the beginning but near the beginning of me just like even diving into this stuff because mm-hmm. for a long time not a long time but for a while I was just I wasn't like I was not at all against it, but just like, I guess, for whatever reason, not interested in it. And it wasn't the timing, but then diving into it, I'm like, oh, this is so cool and so fun. But then also at this point of just like, but like, how does that even serve? You know, it's like, I could do all, I could find out all the things of where I come from and Mm -hmm. the lineage and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. But like, Mm -hmm. why does it serve me? So So when they, when people take your quiz, which will be in the description and show notes for people to take, how is the quiz and how is this information finding out your star archetype? How is it useful, helpful, and how can people apply it to their life? Yeah. So the first thing is that it's actually an activation. Mm. So I have the firm, undeniable belief that the people who are supposed to take the quiz and find out this little piece of themselves 
are the ones who will take it. And the first thing that they will see after, you know, you see a really cute little video of me talking about <laughs> your result yeah. is your sigil. So there are 12 sigils and they're all light codes. They're all encoded with the frequency of that imprint. And this is a universal frequency. One of the nuances of this that I, I kind of wish didn't really exist, but it does, right? Like I channeled this, so I can't really help like what all information came through. We all, anyone who's a starseed has access to all 12 of the imprints mm. from an energetic standpoint. But the one that you chose before coming here is very specific to how you are living out your life here now. So you'll see the sigil, which is the activation into that particular imprint, as well as your star family and your primary objective, which comes from the eight macrocosmic figures, which are all different energetic frequencies that again, we all have access to while we are here in density. But the differences between each of the imprints is to where to put your focus. So with one of these eight macrocosmic figures, are you best served mm. by focusing your energy on instead of trying to go in 20 different directions at once and burning out your ability to serve deeply by being very deeply and authentically yourself. Because I, I feel like that is the key. And if more people just in, I'm not even talking about star seeds anymore, but just in general, mm. if more people were willing to abandon the idea that living your best life is selfish, then we would be in a completely different place, having a completely different conversation. So the quiz result encourages you to see, okay, these traits that I have here that are inherent to my galactic blueprint, this is, this is the best me that I'm being invited to step into. And it's just a doorway. You can do whatever you would like with this information. Like, is there more to the system? Yes. Is there a specific framework that I use when I coach clients through their particular imprint or talk to them about, okay, Ben, if you're an auger and you're working yeah. with Pilar, who is a creatrix, like this is how the two of you might vibe. Yeah, there is more, but if all you need is to see your sigil, see that light code and feel a full body activation of your energy from that, then that is it. Mm. So it's really just like, which is cool, right? Just like, just like a free quiz is an activation for you. Yes. That's so dope. Yes. So how, um, and how, what, how do you advise people? Because again, we've talked about like these roles and identities that we can mm -hmm. get stuck in. So how do people, even like we've talked about human design, you and I are both projectors, even though you said you're kind of not <laughs> at the same time with your energy projector. centers, but how, do you advise people like, Hey, use this as an activation of, of like to be yourself, to remember who you are, Yes. to be who you already are. But also again, don't get caught up, caught up in it. Like what does that nuance look like? Yeah. So I think part of it is just the unlearning of conditioned patterns and especially mm. around the eight macrocosmic figures. So 
I can use you as an example. Like if we were to assume, which I believe is true, that you are an auger, the really interesting thing about augers, like mm-hmm. what they are here to do is at a very high level to embody divine empathy and not the mm-hmm. false empath template. And we are very, very deeply conditioned into thinking that empathy. So if you're alchemizing someone's fear mm-hmm. and you were conditioned into what we typically believe empathy is, then instead of you using your channel and your frequency to open up a space that is external to you for the other person to feel those feelings within and transmute them, mm-hmm. if you were operating in a false way, then you would be taking their fear into your body. Oof. And you would think that that's how you're serving them because oh, we good. are taught that if you're an empath, right? that that means you're supposed to feel all of the feelings. You're supposed Mm -hmm. to feel everybody else's feelings and you're supposed to essentially take their shit. No, Mm -hmm. that is so disempowering for you. That takes you out of your highest way of serving other people because then people will see you as being available for consumption from an energetic standpoint. And that takes you out of the equation. Like that's, that's one of the reasons why Star seeds and not like, even if you don't identify as one or you're like a healer or light walk, light worker, mm-hmm. why people get burnt out doing that kind of work is because there's like this very intentional and tactical disinformation that has been disseminated around how to use multidimensional tools and gifts. Mm. So that's part of the learning process is like, Ben is coming to me, Ben is an auger. Ben is working with people to alchemize their fear. And Ben is learning that the divine empath template, instead of what he may or may not have been experiencing or conditioned into before, is how to use your body vessel as a channel for opening up an external space and letting that other being entity person feel deeply held by that space in a way that allows them to work through things on their own. Because one of the things that I have said over and over and over again, and it's a core of what I do, is that you are your own best healer. But we have been put into these spaces and situations where it doesn't feel that way because the way that we've learned how to work with our innate gifts has actually been very heavily distorted. And there's a reason why. And if we were all working with our gifts in a way that kept our bodies feeling amazing all the time, which is how it's supposed to feel, then again, I've said this a million times, we'd be having a completely different conversation than we are right now. So <laughs> that's cool. Like that's even cool. Like what you brought up in a lot of ways I felt I've, I know I have been like protected and shielded mm-hmm. because I think in a way I'm, I know I'm still learning part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been told by a few people, like, it's like, yeah, you are intentionally being like shielded in this way for whatever reason. And, uh, so that's, that's interesting that you, that you say that because yeah, for sure. Like an empathic person. Yeah. So 
how, what's like a totally different way that you have seen this information be helpful? Cause you talked about like working with people, but what about even like partnership or like relationships? Mm-hmm. How is that useful? <laughs> That's cool. Cause I haven't thought yeah. about that. Yeah, it is. It is really helpful because there are indicators of preferences and mm. there is a lot of density work that comes through this. Um, you know, because we're here, like why, why would something come through that's supposed to be activated in a really massive scale that doesn't give you any tools for actually enjoying your life here right now. Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So there are some preferences that are embedded in each of the traits or in each of the archetypes that will look like 3d traits. So for example, the guardian family, which all of the star families, there's three imprints in each one. So there's four families and they're organized in the order of realm. So Mm -hmm. your final point of passing before you incarnated into this lifetime. So the guardian family, their point of passing is earth. So they are the most attuned to 3D density, vibration, how to really interact with our tactile world, right? Mm. And so those three imprints are going to have a slightly different way of being than say the elemental family, which is what I belong to, which is the ancestral realm. So we're kind of in this like really fun limbo spot where we're really close to the earth realm, but we're also really close to the ether and we can move in and out if we wanted to. And it's harder for us to stay grounded. Mm -hmm. So just as like a very personal example, I am a clarion, as I mentioned, that's elemental family. So I have like unfettered access to the ancestral realm. I frequently talk to guides who were here as earth souls and are now in a different realm. And um, my husband is a sentinel, which is like probably the most embodied imprint in the guardian Mm -hmm. family. So if you were to say, you know, he's someone who is really evergreen, he's very loyal, he likes predictable, you know, situations and creature comforts and all of those things, like that's really helpful information for me to know as someone who has the energetics of a slightly different realm and needs to be able to communicate with him in a way that still, you know, helps him feel stable in the midst of change or whatever it is that we're working through. And then if you zoom out even further from there, like if I was an auger, like you are, I'd be in the diviner family and their final point is the astral realm. And so diviners often have the most difficulty in staying grounded and shielding their own energetics. But the amazing synergy between those two imprints would be that the sentinels main focus is being embodied enough here that their beacon is completely clear to shield the people who are around them. So like if I was an auger, and I'm with Phil, who's a sentinel, he would unconsciously be doing that shielding that I need. Cool. But we don't have like that wide of a split as because I'm not an auger, right? Mm -hmm. So I experienced his energy slightly different than you presumably would. (laughs) That's so interesting. And I feel called and it's funny because usually podcasts start with like, well, 
tell me about your story at the beginning. <laughs> but I think why it's helpful of how this system and, and like, cause it really is like, but I want, I just want you to tell the story of like how it was channeled. Cause I think it'll be helpful for people to even be in that space for themselves. Mm -hmm. Not, yeah. you know, just like as an example and inspiration. Yeah. Um, and I've heard it, but I'm excited to hear something new. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah. Where to begin? I'm, yeah. I'm wondering for context, like where you do want me to begin. Um, I guess maybe I should like kind of preface this because the way that you framed your question was like talking to someone who would want to feel that connection with like bringing information through and like Love channeling it. in some Look way. Look at you yeah. just, you translating for me. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I would preface it by saying that my introduction to working with information in this way I would really hope is going to be very, very different than the majority of people who are listening to the podcast. Um, but that being said, I knew that I could communicate. I mean, I started talking to my grandfather after he passed away when I was two. Mm. And like, that was a very deep knowing for me of it's not just me sitting in this room, like, if there's another being that wants to come in, then they can and will. But like we were talking about before, you know, I grew up, I grew up in Kansas City and I went to a Catholic school my whole childhood and Catholic high school and all of those things, they just, they kind of dissipate because it's not, nobody talks about it right? Like it's not acceptable in some way. What well, isn't acceptable? Oh, that you can talk to your grandfather? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Or that, you know, I can see things before they happen. And so mm. I think a lot of that trust that I had in myself of being able to accurately see things or hear things or receive messages that were really important, those had faded by the time I was like, you know, in my early twenties, like college, because it's something that had been kind of like pushed away from me. Like if, if you're raised here and you go to this school and these are the activities that you do, then like, this is how you're supposed to live your life. Like I had the very like life script achievement future <laughs> laid out in front of me. Right. Which does not include downloading stuff. So I had a really profound experience when I was 22 and I met the person who I knew was my twin flame. It was like immediate and undeniable. And it was something that I had read about like at night by myself in my room <laughs> in high school when, you know, yeah. I wasn't supposed to be talking about all of these things that I was really mm -hmm. actually interested in. And we knew right away whoa, okay, you are the carbon copy of me and okay, we got to do this, <laughs> mm. right? And so his name was Christian and we were living in Portland. We met at a concert 
we went to eighties night all the time together. Like we're just having the best time, like just having the best time together. And we got married. Um, there were a lot of instances where he and I would actually like have shared astral projection experiences together. And of course, like this isn't the kind of stuff that we just walk around like telling our family, <laughs> right? They just yeah. think like, oh, they're really happy. That's great. Yeah. Um, so we got married and um, I ended up going to grad school in Alabama and we moved out there and Christian, um, he was a pilot, like he flew fixed wing and he really wanted to get his helicopter license. Cause that, that was like our master plan is like, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to do something that has to do with our business. And then he really wanted to open up like a hella skiing business cool. in Washington. Like we had everything planned out. Right. And my second year, my final year of grad school, my dad was diagnosed with brain cancer and, um, it was terminal. Like we knew pretty much right away that it was the most aggressive form. And we kind of, that was like the moment where we kind of looked at each other and we knew that nothing was ever going to be the same. Right. Yeah. And I am an only child. My dad was a very prominent father figure to Christian. And so he basically dropped everything in Alabama and moved up to Kansas city to help like take care of him and be with him. And then I followed. Cause of course my dad was like, you need to finish your degree. I'm like, dad, <laughs> you're dying. Like, yeah. what? what? Okay. So I like accelerated my courses and then I moved up there and I spent the last. So you finished four... your master's degree. Yes. I finished I didn't my know that master's. Part. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I wow. finished, I finished in a year and a half because when he was diagnosed, it was um, very early June. Like I had just finished my first year and I got this phone call from my mom. Like I was literally driving home from campus and I got this phone call from my mom and she said, are you driving? I said, yeah. Mm. She's like, you need to pull over the car. I'm like, okay. Yeah. And she said, your dad has a brain tumor and he's having surgery this afternoon. Yeah. What do you, what do you do with that? Right. And so the point that that was in, in the year, I talked to my professors and they just let me do a bunch of summer classes. And then I did a bunch of remote work. My second semester, I was out of there before Thanksgiving. Like I really, really needed to just go be with my family. So we spent the last four months of my dad's life together. And that was very cathartic. There were a lot of things about our relationship that was the reason why I had really denied my multidimensionality. You and your dad or you and Christian? Yes, me and my okay. dad. And I think that it's because he was raised from such a place of fear of what it really looks like to have deep and loving relationships where you're fully seen. Mm. And so a lot of that transferred on to me, you know, growing up and thinking that the only value that I had was being someone who achieved a lot of things or was very intelligent. And if I didn't achieve a certain thing, then it would have like a negative impact on our relationship. Yeah. So we worked through a lot in those four months awesome. and 
literally two days after he passed away, he started talking to me. Cause that was my question. Yeah. I was mm -hmm. like, so do you still talk to your dad? Yeah. Inter intermittently, not as much as Christian. Um, but Wait, you I haven't was, got, you haven't got to that point. Yeah, yet, but... <laughs> I didn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, don't be sorry. You're okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do. And I, I was shocked. Like when it first happened, I was like, whoa, why are I, you hanging around here? In two like, days. Yes. Yeah. He came through really fast and wow. he just, he just wanted me to know that he was proud of me. Oh. And that was really like, that's kind of all I needed to hear. And mm. it's funny that we were talking about validation earlier, you know, like, what do you do with a lifetime of wanting that? And then Oof. receiving it after someone is gone, wow. you know, that was, um, like a really beautiful and kind of sad moment for me at the same yeah, time. Yeah, it is bittersweet, honestly. Yeah, yeah. And at that point, you know, Christian and I, my dad was 63 when he passed away and he had worked his entire career for the same company. And there are so many ways that we both saw how deeply that fear had run his life, like run the course of his life. And he literally had just retired like January and they found the brain tumor in June. Wow. And he never got to live out all of the plans that he had. And so we're looking at each other and we're like, we only have a very finite amount of time we need to just go balls to the wall yeah. with living our life, right? Mm -hmm. So we left Kansas City. We moved back to Oregon. He's going to going to flight school to get his helicopter certification because we knew like this is this is what we're going to do. This is a no brainer. And um, we had been living back in Portland for a little over a year. It's funny that we're recording this when we are i don't know mm. when it's actually going to be released but july 1st of 2015 i we were supposed to go to the beach that day mm. we were supposed to drive to manzanita because i had been working like crazy just putting in crazy hours his schedule was a little off from mine so usually i would see him for like a couple of hours in the morning and then, you know, he'd go to ground school and he'd fly and then I'd get home late and then like I'd see him before we'd go to bed. And we decided we just need to drive out to Manzanita. Like that's our place. We need a day where we can just be together and mm -hmm. connect and be by the ocean. And I ended up getting like a little bit of a cold a couple of days before that. And so I took two days off of work and then july 1st rolls around and my little squirrel brain says you know it's the beginning of a new month you should probably go into the office because all of your june commission is gone like you need to set something up for and this time was july. a realtor yeah i was a okay. commercial real estate broker okay yeah and i had just i had just closed on a couple of properties like right before i had gotten sick and so there was just this little space where I was like, 
eh, you know, you should probably go in. So I talked to Christian that morning and he's like, oh, that's totally fine because I think that we're going to go up at night tonight instead of like doing ground school in the morning. I think I'm going to go later today and do a night night flight. I'm like, mm. all right, then that, that works fine. So I go into the office and it just does not feel right to me that you're in the office just anything mm. like there was something about that day and it was right when i stepped in the doors and i like through the doors and we had this big board um right by like our calendar and our clock we had this big board with commission totals right and since it was the first day of the month it was completely wiped and I look at this board and I look at July 1st and there's something inside of me that says, this is very wrong. Like, I just have this overwhelming sense that I do not want to live this day. Like, there's just Ugh. something here, right? So I, I sit down at my desk and I'm like, boot up my computer and I try to distract myself. And every single time I would look at the clock, it would be a repeating number. Like I looked at 1111 and then this little voice that I hadn't heard before would come into my head and it would say things like, you are loved, you are protected, mm -hmm. angels are with you, you have nothing to fear, you are safe. Like all these things would come in. And I like, by the time 333 rolled around and I've been hearing that all day, I was like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> yeah. Like. Whoever you are, please go away. I'm very annoyed. I don't feel great, right? How so long after I, this is that you're, so how many months since your dad passed? This was, so my dad passed in March of 2014. Okay. And this is July 1st of 2015. Okay. Yeah. So like a little over a year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, and it definitely wasn't my dad. Cause I was yeah. like kind of checking in and seeing like, okay. are you the one that's saying it was yeah. not. It was something that I hadn't heard before. So I decided to go home like a little bit before five o'clock and I get home and I wasn't sure whether or not Christian would be there. And he was, um, so I get upstairs and he's like, Hey babe, I have something to tell you. I'm so sorry. I was in a little fender bender earlier today. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, Thank God. Like that's maybe that's what I was like tuned into that I was worried about. And he's like, you know, we're going to have to pay this insurance claim for this guy to get their bumper repainted. And he was saying it as if I was going to be mad, but I was so relieved yeah. in that moment. I was like, thank God you are okay. And I just remember like giving him the biggest hug and not wanting mm. to let him go. Oh, I just got chills. Yeah. And like, I think maybe a half an hour later, he's like, so I, I'm going to go down to Newburgh because we're going to, you know, we're going to do a little bit of ground and I'll probably be home maybe like 10, 30, 11, not really yeah. sure, but I'll keep you posted. I'm like, okay. So I decided that I wanted to just get the day totally off of me and go to the gym. Like when he yeah. left for school. So he packed his bag, I packed my bag, we go down to the street and our cars are parked kind of like catty corner to each other. And um, he gave me a kiss like in the middle of the street. And I remember getting into the car and he got it. He had a little 
he had a 1990 white Miata <laughs> and he loved that car yeah. so much. And he would always like, I think the drive to Newburgh from where we lived was maybe like 45 minutes or so. And he'd always just like go with the top down. It didn't matter <laughs> like what the temperature was. And so he, he gets into the Miata and I get into my car and I remember just kind of like looking at each other and we just wave and he pulled out in front of me and we start driving down our street and we're getting close to like getting on the highway. And there's this point going on I-5 South in Portland where it splits between the I-5 and the 405. And I was going over to the West side. So I remember coming up to that split and literally not wanting to take my eyes off of the back of his car because mm. that voice came in again and it said, this is the last time you're ever going to see him. Then I actually said that verbatim. Yes. Yeah. That's crazy. And at that point I was like, hold on a second. We're, we already did this today. Like we're, we're yeah. done. Like I, I thought that I honestly thought that I was having some sort of like mental yeah. breakdown. Right. So the weird thing is, I don't think I've ever really talked about this. Okay. So the weird thing is Christian was like, he's a really big car guy. And like, mm -hmm. I love, I love cars. So we really like had that in common, but he liked project cars. Right. So he knew this dealer who had like a bunch of like lemons that nobody would want to sell at auction. Yeah. And he picked up this really, really cheap, like BMW X five for me, because I kind of thought it would be fun to like drive a bigger vehicle for a while. Right. So he had all these intentions of like doing an engine swap and doing all of this stuff on it. And so I'm driving this car and I'm going over the 405 bridge and I like, I'm slowing down. I'm getting ready to go like off and exit. And the engine died, like just wow. random dies while I'm driving. And I'm like, what? Wait, is this is at the right, right after you heard, heard the voice? Yes. Yes. Wow. Yes. So the engine dies and I'm like sitting on the side of the freeway. I'm like trying to restart this car. I did get it to restart. And then I, I only had a couple blocks before I got to the gym parking lot. So I parked the car and I called him. I was like, so the car engine literally just died while I was driving. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, it's okay, babe. Like, just, it's going to be fine. Like, try to, if that happens again, like when you start it up in the parking lot, if you take it around the block and it's doing the same thing, then call me or call so-and-so like somebody will come pick you up, but it's going to be fine. And I will take a look at it tomorrow. So he's kind of like giving me a pep talk through this weird yeah. little clip, right? And I had that same sense that I didn't want to hang up the phone, you know, like there was just this reason why something had happened so that I could talk to him, even if it was me being really freaked out that this stupid piece of crap car's engine just died while I'm literally driving down the freeway, right? Yeah. So, um, go to the gym. I go through like the motions of some workout. I'm still really not sure like what's going on. I drove yeah. home and the engine didn't die. Like that was fine. Um, and then when I got home, I remember like, 
I just put on some like really terrible reality TV, like Real mm. Housewives of Beverly Hills, because I really just wanted the ultimate distraction. Yeah. But I kept hearing these things. And at one point I decided to go take a shower. And I remember looking at myself in the mirror and hearing like a version of me saying, when I was 27, I lost my father. And when I was 28, I lost my husband. Wow. And at that point I was like, okay, the second that Christian comes home, I have to tell him all of this stuff so that we can get some help for me. Yeah. Because who, who thinks that or who says those things, right? Like anyone going through that experience, I think would also come to the similar conclusion that they're having some sort of mental issue. And I still couldn't shake it. I tried to go to bed. I got into bed. I pulled up this little game that I used to play on my phone to distract myself. And then I texted him. I was yeah. like, hey, I hope you're having an awesome flight. Like, let me know when you land. I'm excited to see you when you come home. Yeah. And like sent him a couple of helicopter emojis and hearts <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. And the next second, I like have this sensation that I am being sucked out of my body. Mm. Like I still do not have the words to describe it, but all I know is that I was sitting on my bed with my phone in my hand and it was like, I was being pulled out of the center of my chest. And then the next thing that I see is this really bright fire. Mm. Like, I can feel how hot it is. I can see everything. And then I have this sense that someone's arm is around me and I realize that it's Christian. Mm. And it's kind of like, you know, he's Superman and I'm Lois Lane <laughs> and we're just yeah. we're just traveling like further and further away from this fire. Have you had similar experiences like that with him before? No. So we had we had like astrally projected mm -hmm. and it was always to the same scene where we're like in a forest and we can hear horses running like we can mm. hear this like stampede of like horses running wherever we are but nothing that felt physical like nothing that i could sense how it felt so i guess to answer your question it's more of like we would have visions that we would share, but nothing that I know I'm out of my body. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm like, you know, trying to conceptualize where I am with him, right? And the only thing that I can really see is like, we're, we're going further and further away from this fire. So presumably we're going like up mm -hmm. and we're in this little structure that's kind of like, like a, clear cylinder so i like to call it the cosmic bank tube because like that's the only thing that i can <laughs> I like really that. think Actually of right yeah, yeah like we're we're in this like tube and we reach a point where it's everything and nothing at once like it's just it's darkness but there's nothing that is dark or isolating about where we are we're just floating kind of like we're in this cosmic sea and I'm no longer me 
in my body. He is no longer him in his body. We're like these kind of glowing beads. Hmm. But even though our forms have changed, I can see this sense of pure joy and peace from him that I had never seen in our physical existence together. And it's like, he's free. Like there's no other way of really describing it. And I knew at that moment that he was saying goodbye in some way, like it, it kind of comes into my awareness that he just wanted to say goodbye to me in some way and that he was going to be going one way and I was going to be going another way. And it felt like, like there, there's just like no time associated with Mm. this, right? Like it felt like we could have lived entire lifetimes together in this space, but as soon as I'm experiencing it and realizing like what is actually happening, I'm being sucked back down into my body. And it is like the most painful thing that I have ever experienced in my life. And like, I am on my bed, I'm sobbing. Like Mm. I have no clue, like physical me has no clue what I just saw or what happened. But there was a sense inside of me that he had passed away. Mm-hmm. Like he's gone. He is no longer here. And I, I mean, I feel like I remember kind of like being on my floor and crying. I think I remember going into my bathroom. And like at yeah. one point I was wearing two bathrobes. Like I was wearing this little like souvenir bathrobe that I'd gotten from a bachelorette party. And then I put his robe on and I was like pacing around the apartment and like waiting for him to text me back because, you know, I'm in denial that something really did happen. And I'm thinking that I'm going nuts. And it was probably like an hour or an hour and a half after all of that that I heard a knock on my door and I opened the door and there were two men wearing polo shirts with their school's emblem on it. And I saw them and it was like, man, I wish I had a really good physical definition for cognitive dissonance. Yeah. But that is like everything that I was feeling in that moment of like, I wanted all of that to be evidence of me losing my sanity instead of Mm. physically losing my husband and being shown that everything that I was hearing and seeing and experiencing with him was real. And like, it was just like my whole world just completely shattered. And I I remember them telling me like, you know, the, whoever it was that I opened, there were two of them there and whoever it was, I opened the door and he said, you know, there's been an accident. And so I remember when he said that I like ran back into the apartment to get my bag and my phone. And I was like, I want to go to where he's being treated. Yeah. Like I need to go be with him. And the other person who was there, he like grabbed my arm and he said, there has been a fire and no one has survived and i 
I just collapsed. Yeah. Like I have some, I have some recollection of calling my mom. Somehow she answered, even though at the time she lived like two hours ahead and she would have been asleep. Like she answered the phone. And so I have like some memories of her telling me that she was going to be on the next flight out in the morning and to call some of our family friends who lived in Portland, who are basically like my surrogate parents. She's like, you need to call them and you need to go there now. Like, do not stay in the apartment. Yeah. Like have these people take you. And, um, the rest of that night was just this blur of like his friends trickling through their front door at like three o'clock in the morning. And, I felt like I held this impossible secret of like everyone on the outside seeing me as someone who had just lost her husband. But on the inside, I had just received all of this really complex and vast information about who we are and why we're here. Mm. And having to like sit with both of those yeah, things. That, that'd be so difficult. Yeah. To have it was, both. Yeah. It was just, it was crushing. But I think that like the, the gift that was in that was waking up the next morning and going out onto their back patio. They have this like beautiful patio with like all of these really old evergreen trees. And it's just this really idyllic place. It's always felt very nurturing to me. And I went out there and I asked him, I was like, why did you, why did you do that? Wow. Like, why did you take me? Why did you take me there? And he didn't come in at that point but i had this sense of like if i just went through all of that and the depths the depths of our relationship like while he was here like experiencing him as my twin flame and like feeling all of the highs and the lows that come with that and all of like the learning and unlearning and your self-concept and all of that stuff if i just went through all of that plus him deciding that there was something that I needed to see in the process. There's no other reason for me to still be there than to make something really wonderful out of the rest of my life. Hmm. I've heard the story before, but this is more (laughs) emotional. Yeah, I think, I mean, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it'll be six years on Thursday. Yeah. Maybe that's what, <laughs> no, <laughs> but, but yeah, just being in it. Yeah. Um, and there were like at the time, wow, my grief was so complex. And yeah. like, I don't want to say that from a place of like, nobody else is as complex. Cause we just, talked about this idea of like specialness, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that there are nuances in every single loss that people try to run away from 
every day. And like, I've seen that. I've seen that in the work that I do. I've seen it in myself. But there was some component around the whole experience of like having the shared death experience with him and knowing that I knew him at a point in his life where he was living his passion. Mm -hmm. Like he was going after the one thing that he always wanted to do. And that's a privilege. It's a huge privilege that even when it's right in front of your face, the majority of people will still not even take. And being able to witness him do that was one of the greatest honors of my life. And that cast this, this film over my grief that made it really damn near impossible mm. for me to feel angry yeah. that it had happened and that he was gone. And that in itself was really difficult because the majority of what everyone else felt around me was anger. Yeah. Of like, how the fuck did this happen? Why did this happen? Like, if you knew Christian, he was larger than life. Like, everybody knew him in a way. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so there was always like this statement that would come up over and over and over again was this is so unfair. Mm. And it, I had to sit with that a lot of like, what is unfair about this? Wow. And what was the answer? The answer for me was that I think people were making the fact that he was no longer there mean something about their worth and their value. Huh. Because that's the type of impact that he would have on his friends and anyone that knew him. Like uh -huh. you, you would feel like you were, you know, a better version of you somehow. And so when that influence is gone, then you're left with your own self-concept and your own identity and who am I without you? And that's a very, very hard lesson to learn. And yeah. that's something that I'm still learning, you know? And like, part of it is like, I feel like I'm carrying, I'm carrying the flag of our experience. And mm. so I have to do that in a way that also doesn't mean anything about me inherently. Mm. All right. So I have three follow-up questions that I've We've been trying to do my best to remember <laughs> that popped up <laughs> during this. So I'm going to say them right now so we don't forget so you can help me. Um, so it might be more. I'm curious, yeah, like how this, how this, how talking about it and bringing up again and again has helped and also potentially been not helpful. I'm curious about that. Yeah. For grief. Mm -hmm. I mean, like you talking about this is just like, oh my God, like, if my love, like my partner, I'm just like, oh my God, like this, like I can't imagine. And so it's like, again, it's like the appreciating nectar of life, like mm -hmm. fully. And um, also, yeah, like talking to him. Uh, and then is this, was this your partial walk-in? Yeah. Those little essence beads, he took a bunch of them with him so when i had come back down 
you know, there's, there's always this metaphor of like, when you lose someone, there's, there's a hole or there's an empty space. There was literally part of all of me that was gone. And I was very acutely Wild. aware of it. And he, he did also tell me, which was kind of nice of him. <laughs> he told you that I was taking him? Yeah. Well, or later not not at the time later because okay. we we would have like i mean it was almost rapid fire like pretty much every single night i would see him in some form wow. in the astral and he would show me like more details about what happened wow. and why and you know tell me that he was trying to protect me and like that's the reason why i was hearing all of these things was just so that i would know this is coming and not in a way that is going to totally pull the rug out from under you, like just, you know, halfway maybe. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I knew that that was, that was us fulfilling our contract. Like uh. that was us being done with all of the lifetimes and iterations that we had experienced each other in was he actually just wanted to take part of that with him. And so, wow. um, that's so hard. Like I imagine my ego just being like, what? Like, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I also feel like he and I had this, we had this shared understanding where I knew that the space that was being created was actually for me. And so him wanting to have like, part of my essence was so that I could be liberated from the construct that our relationship had held in other iterations. Uh. And so there was something about it that didn't feel, it didn't, I guess it didn't make me mad. That's like the wrong way to <laughs> yeah. put it. Um, but that interim space of having a sense of like part of my part of my personality is gone like this is weird right like that interim space before actually having that reunification with this being that came in to help me and to live out the rest of my time here with me that was like those two years are something that that I don't really talk about that a whole lot I don't because mm. it was really hard to live through and conceptualize and yeah. I still don't, I can't adequately verbalize how that felt or how that affected yeah. me. So I feel bad because I don't remember the question that you asked me. Okay. Well, I asked like five. <laughs> so I was like, um, yeah, I just appreciate you sharing like again and again. Um, so oh, like bringing it forth and like how talking about that has yeah but also before we get there is will you just if someone hasn't heard the term walk in before what is it and then why do you call yours a partial walk-in yes so a walk-in soul is another being or entity that will take the place of the human form while still living so the most common scenario that you would hear this in is if someone, let's say they have like a very 
physically traumatic accident and they have a near-death experience, sometimes the original soul that they brought in as, you know, they were being born, sometimes that soul will actually leave because their work in this plane is done, Mm. but the body vessel isn't done. There's still more to do. So another soul being will come in and inhabit the body. So it's, is it a completely different soul or like a high, higher fractalization? That's a really good question. I guess I've never thought of it that way. I've always thought of it as a new, like not, not new, like, oh, brand new. This is the first time they've ever had like a life experience new, but different. Yeah. But I've never unpacked it to that point, and I probably should. Um, I get the sense that the being that came in for me was completely different mm. and not some like reanimation of these parts of me that Christian took with him. And mm. so that's why I say partial, because I know for a fact that there's just like this, you know, big scoop of essence beads that he took, but I still had like about half of them. Right. Mm. And that, that does happen. There are a lot of instances of people that talk about like losing a part of themselves and knowing that there is this new fragment or part that needs to be integrated in some way. And that's definitely what I experienced. That's actually interesting. Cause yeah, you hear that phrase, when especially in like love loving relationships right of like mm-hmm. i lost a part of me mm-hmm. yeah that's interesting yep um so yeah how has sharing been helpful and maybe not so helpful but it's also a, it adds another complexity because it's like you were different now than yeah who you were prior to that experience so it's like I don't even know how to explain that. I wish it's like, I had a good way of explaining it too. <laughs> because it's like, because you are experiencing grief, mm-hmm. but like ha- we'll just use the term half or partial, right? It's like your human is experiencing grief, but it's also like your soul has so much clarity and calmness. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's a really, really accurate description of what was going on. Mm. So I think that, it really was the ultimate test too of ego integration Yeah. of, you know, who is actually running the show, who's making the decisions here. Am I, am I making decisions through the ego part of me that feels like my life is nothing. My life is destroyed. I have nothing Mm. to look forward to. I'm never going to love someone again, which so many people feel. Yes. Yeah. Or am I trusting in everything that I received with him? Am I trusting my ability to communicate not just with him, but with anything else that's coming into my field? Am I trusting in all of the information that I was shown? Because like one analogy that I really like to use is I, when I was younger, I really loved when Mac came out with all those really colorful iMac yeah. computers. How old are you? I'm 34. 34. So I'm yeah. 30. But yeah, I remember, yeah, like yes. in elementary, I was like, yo, yes. those are dope. Yep. We had like, we had a little computer lab and they had, mm-hmm. you know, all the different colors. 
And so I like to think of the version of me who was taken into the void with him that day as like a little strawberry iMac. <laughs> and I like that. when I'm in that space, someone's handing me this like disc of information that's from another time and like the code is different and I come back down and I'm trying to put the disc in this computer uh, and get all of the information from it. In your hardware. Yes, but there's something that just doesn't translate correctly. Like my hardware has been updated in a way that is like rendering this system somewhat useless. Yeah. So I wrestled with that a lot. Yeah. Like a lot during the initial, you know, experience of my grief. And I didn't talk about it for quite a while. I mean, I guess that's relative. Like me saying quite a while is relative because I didn't really, I didn't go into practice of actually coaching other people around grief and working through grief until about three and a half years after Christian had passed away. And for the majority of that time, this is something to kind of answer your question. This has really been interesting for me to talk about and think about because it's been at the forefront recently. Um, I lived a lot of that time of my life feeling almost like my life was a secret hmm. because I had met someone fairly shortly after the accident that I got a lot of signs and clues that he was supposed to be in my life. Is this and Phil or not Phil? Yeah, it's Phil. Okay, cool. Yeah. And um, one thing I would say is that I would not wish the stigma of being a widow or a widower on anyone my age when it happened, yeah. you know, or younger or, you know, even in your 30s your 40s and you have kids and you've done there's so much wrapped up in that word and other people have very distinct expectations for what your life is supposed to look like after you lose your partner yeah and so when I met Phil I came up against that head-on it was like oh cool so I'm already dealing with this really complex experience in this grief. I know because Christian has told me like our karmic contract is, is done. And he also wants me to be happy. Mm -hmm. Like he wouldn't not want for me to be happy and fulfilled. So I have all this information, but that doesn't look the same on the surface to someone else who's like observing. Oh, well, like, are you dating someone? Like that's kind of weird. Right. And what ended up, I think, kind of working just in the natural evolution of our relationship anyway, was that he is not, Phil is not from the US. And when we met, he was not living in the US. He was just there working on projects like intermittently. So we dated essentially long distance for like 
eight or nine months, like very slowly of mm -hmm. like, I would maybe see him for a week or two and then he would fly back to the Netherlands or he would go wherever his, you know, work had sent him on projects. And then eventually he's like, you know, I'm not sure the next time that I'm going to be back in the States, but I don't want this to end. And mm -hmm. so do you want to like, would you want to come travel with me? And so mm -hmm. I like, I flew out to Taiwan and I went to Korea and I went to the Netherlands and like, I, all of that, I held really, really close in mm -hmm. because it was almost like I had traded one world for another world where he had just laid, like Phil laid the entire world at my feet. And I think like every single day I think about how much gratitude I have for that. Mm -hmm. But at the time there was a lot of shame wrapped oh, for up, sure. like a lot of, you know, what kind, what course is my life going to take now? Like, am I still honoring the life vision that Christian and I had yeah. together, all of that stuff. Yeah. And I think the really incredible thing is meeting someone who had never experienced grief. Like he's never come face to face with that, but he has so deeply held every single way that I've needed to process mine. Cool. And he knows that like, I will never stop loving Christian, but I will also never stop loving him. Yeah. And it takes a really fucking strong <laughs> person to be able to hold that. No, honestly, like, yeah, I just want to give product shout out to Phil. So make sure you tell yeah. him today, like, <laughs> cause like seriously though, like that takes, yeah, a lot, like knowing that like, for knowing what you went through to hold that space and to and again it just goes back into this like universal intelligence of like love mm -hmm. but it's but that again because that can be even distorted and just like used right yeah of like well i love everyone so i'm just gonna do this and right right but uh but yeah i can feel just such like pureness like which is cool so i'm just giving him a shout out because that really does take for me specifically, like saying as a man, like that's really, really cool. I always like to joke around with him that mm -hmm. I feel like he should teach some sort of course on confidence. <laughs> I, I'd love, he should. <laughs> like total self-love expressed through confidence because. Ooh, that sounds, he's, that sounds yeah, cool. Like he's it. And you know, to kind of go back to your question, that has been something that's really difficult for me in retelling this experience is mm. like, you know, am I in that moment anymore? No, I'm not. But I do still feel the energy around it. I still, you know, feel Christian coming in. I still see him coming in. There's some days where like, you know, I'll sit on our bedroom floor and he's like, Christian is like sitting in front of me and I'm just crying and I'm telling him yeah. that I miss him. And so when I come back to this place of telling, you know, how he left this earth, what happened in its wake, how that changed me, sometimes it 
might come across as like the life that I'm living now is some sort of afterthought to that, or it's mm. just like a secondary effect. And it's really not like that is one thing that I've constantly had to work through. And like, I've talked to Phil about that and I've kind of, you know, I've told him a few different ways of like, you know, this is why sometimes our relationship doesn't come up, like, unless it comes up organically. Like, I don't, I don't tend to just like bring it up and lead with it because there is still something about it that I hold like really, really close to my mm -hmm. chest. Understandably so. Yeah. Like, you know, I think that, I think that the, the most personal thing that I put on my Instagram stories one day with him was we have this, we have a pool mm. and I got this, um, big inflatable unicorn. I named him Jarvis. <laughs> and so we were having a pool day a few weeks ago and Phil got on top of Jarvis and there's like these handles on his neck. And so Phil was kind of like riding it like a, like a bull mm -hmm. and like took off his hat and started doing one of these. And I was like, I have to put this on my story yeah. because that is peak Phil energy. <laughs> like that peak is Phil energy. Yes. Like that is hilarious, but he's usually, you know, I'm not posting about him or you know, I'm not highlighting him on my stories or talking about him on, but the funny thing is like, I have written, like I have written so much about our story and how mm. we met and those months of separation, like bringing all of these fears of abandonment, like back around oh, into the forefront yes. and, <laughs> yes. you know, Ooh. and also like he, he's, still not like we're married, but mm -hmm. since his company is like, you know, sponsoring him, he doesn't have a green card. He's on like a very extended work visa. But before that happened, he was on a different kind of visa where, you know, he could only be here for a certain number of days out of the year. And mm -hmm. so there was always this like fear in the back of my mind of like, what if I am loving this person so much? Ugh. And one day he calls me and says like, I can't come back or you can't come to where I am. And so like all of these dynamics that I faced around losing Christian were coming back to me in a very physical way. And I was learning through like all of those things from every single point. So, wow. yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I love that. <laughs> Like it yeah. was, yeah, the way you shared it was beautiful, but yet raw. It was like this cool, just, just way to put it. But yeah, I tell Phil to do that. The <laughs> self-love through confidence. Like, confidence course. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for men. That sounds cool. Yeah. Um, well, is there anything else on your heart to share? This has been, woof. This has been yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that would be really interesting for me is because mm. one of the macrocosmic vigors is alchemy. Mm. And so I talk a lot about what it really means to alchemize something in like a non-distorted way. But mm. my archetype imprint 
that is not one of my focus points. So I definitely don't claim to be an expert in alchemy. <laughs> Uh -huh. And since you are, you're the fear alchemist, I think I'd be really interested to hear about like what that actually means to you. Oh, I love that. I love you asking me. So what does fear alchemy mean to me? Yeah. Oh, I love that. So it's similar to what we've already talked about a little bit. Um, so when we talk about the universal intelligence, right, of being love. So to me, when you're alchemizing fear, you're taking, so how I view universal intelligence, and for everyone, if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see my hand movements, but for pe most people listening, is so how I view intelligence, have you read the Kabbalion or the Kabbalion, however they say it? No. So you probably know, have you've heard like the seven universal principles or whatever? Yeah. So, so one of them, um, is polarity so mm -hmm. this is how i like to ex and i'll get to the point of how i explain use alchemy so when you think of just like in our physical world when you think of like a thermometer and degrees and heat so when you go up on the thermometer it's hot mm -hmm. right when you go low on the thermometer it's cold so on polar ends they're complete opposites but it's still a degree it's still a feeling and so how I look at it is when you go low, right, it's cold, it's constricted, not moving. When you go up, it's free moving. And even when you look at the structures of water, right, it's, it's the same. Mm -hmm. Of a water molecule is still a water molecule, even though it's ice. You know, it's just frozen, constricted. It's still right. moving technically. Mm -hmm. but, but then when you go up, it's water more free flowing and then gas just all over the place. But it's still a water molecule. So is what's the, what's the like quote from the Kabbalion is like opposites are identical in nature, but different in degree. Hmm. So opposites are identical in nature, but different in degree. So why I'm using this metaphor is because to me that is universal intelligence. So no matter where you are on that scale, it's still love, mm -hmm. but it's in, but it's the absence of love or yeah. cold is the absence of heat technically mm -hmm. right because wave or heat is energy and it's it's the absence of heat like even if you go into space like um for satellites for example like the light um on like on a satellite where the sun shines on one side is really warm but the other side is freezing mm -hmm. because it's just lacking heat yeah, so that's how I view this scale. And that's what to me alchemy is, is it's it's still the same degree. And when you're looking at alchemy in general, right, when you're turning a metal into gold, mm -hmm. is it's you understand the same principle that it's made of the same thing. Mm. It's not magic. It's mm -hmm. yes, it is magic. Like to me, magic is the name for science that we don't understand yet. But mm. it's still a process. Yeah. So it's there are universal laws, just limited perception as a human. And so I'm just me and everyone co-creating everything because I also believe that it's remembering and then I'm not like some guru giving something. It's like, no, what you just said about everyone is their best self-healer, right? So it's mm -hmm. me asking you the questions and providing the tools and resources and perspectives so you can do that. So fear alchemy is essentially just a remembering and transmuting 
that same degree that's being expressed from this into that. That's so cool because you're not, you're not telling someone that they're completely changing like everything about their makeup, like that, that base thing still exists, but it's in a different form. Yeah. Well, and it's like, if you look at, so what fear is, right? It's protection. Mm -hmm. So it's self-protection. So I believe that fear is love in disguise Mm -hmm. because, right. It's trying to protect you from something like, I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to be abandoned. Right. Right. So it's, is self-protection like a complete absence of love? It's like, no, it's like, I love this thing or I don't want this person to go because I love it. It's really about me, but you, you get it right. It's like, like mm-hmm. it's coming from a place of love. So it is just like a distorted version, confused version. So it's the same essence. It's the same energy. It's the same intelligence, just a different degree. Mm. Yeah, I feel that. I mean, there are so many points I could, I could really pick out like any one experience that I had, you know, even when Christian was still here around like the nature of our relationship or where we were going or, you know, what we were going to do after losing my, like all of those things, there was like this fear based in it, but at Mm. the same time, it didn't feel like constriction. Yeah. It's yeah. A lot of fear again, it's so nuanced. Right. And that's how we get so confused. I mean, fear is fear and shame, like the most controlling Mm -hmm. lowest vibrations, Mm -hmm. but really they're identical. Like fear is the root. I believe like from what I have found and I've almost tried to prove myself wrong. I know I'm still biased, but (laughs) as like time and time again, I'm like, Whoa, here comes fear again. And it's like, cause it is like fear is the opposite of love but it's the same. So when you understand that, it's just like, oh, okay, this is protecting me because I love myself, right? right? And it's how I look at it is like, kind of like a cheesy fear that I have, right? Is like not living life to the fullest. Mm -hmm. And it's like, like I can't imagine being old and saying I didn't give it my all. Mm -hmm. So that's a fear, but it's also a love of life. Yeah. You know? And also, like, have you seen, are you a fan of Star Wars at all? Oh, man. I'm actually not a Star Wars person. I'm I'm probably the only person that you'd ask. And it's, I mean, I've seen them, but um, I'm more of a Trekkie. It's all good. We still still love you. Okay. But um, it's this, so in the, so episode three, Mm -hmm. um, why Anakin turns into Darth Vader is because he has a fear of losing his wife and child. Right. Not wife at the time. And he sees this vision of his wife dying in childbirth, of Padme dying in childbirth. Mm -hmm. So he does everything he can out of fear to prevent that from happening. But he Mm -hmm. didn't know that his vision was he's the one who actually did it. Right. So if he would have chosen love, that wouldn't have happened. Yes. Right. And so it's like, but of course he has a love for his um, partner and unborn Mm -hmm. child. Mm Mm-hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's, so it's fear and like love aren't just like completely, they're very, and that's why it can get confusing is because they're closely tied. Yeah. I mean, that's something that I'm, I'm not the kind of person that says, oh, I don't want to have any regrets because I do feel like regret is like a hook of a a lesson, 
that mm. you were faced with at some point in your life. And I do have the regret of the fact that it took my dad being terminally ill to come to that understanding around love and fear with him. Really? Because yeah, my whole life, there was an element of him that I was afraid of. And it was like the very heavy, you know, disapproval that he conditioned me uh -huh. to respond you had, to. You had to be a perfect high achiever. Yes. I totally get it. Yeah. Yes. And to me, it does really feel sad that we didn't come to that place of like exploring that before he was actively dying. Mm. But at the same time, it was really beautiful for me to be able to sit with him and tell him, now I understand. Like, I understand yeah. the reason why you, you know, parented me the way that you did. And it was because you loved me. And this mm -hmm. was the only way that you knew how to show me that you loved me. You exactly. were very overprotective because you didn't want me to get hurt and you didn't want me to experience, you know, my childhood in the way that you did, or you wouldn't want me to experience my young adulthood in the way that you did. And we're essentially like one in the same, like, that's why we had so many difficulties communicating with each mm. other. And, um, I wouldn't trade that moment for anything of actually being able to say that to him. But at the same time, damn if it didn't take a really, really long time and a terrible situation to get us to that place. Yeah. I mean, that's beautifully said, right? Like it's both. Mm -hmm. And like from what you describing, right? Yeah. I mean, I'll just let that simmer because it really is like his, his actions were yes, out of fear, but because he loved you, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's, uh, but also like what you were 25 or 27 when that happened to him. I was 27, 27. So yeah. it's like, I mean, like how I, like I, when I look at regrets, it's so like, I understand, I understand it. But at the same time, it's like, but you still did it. Like you, right. you could have made the choice not to do what you've done, you mm -hmm. know? And so, and it's like, you're 27. Like, even though you had this knowledge that most people don't have, you still made the choice to do it. And so many people have, you know, it's like, and it didn't happen any other way. So mm -hmm. it's like, and who knows if that didn't happen, if you would have had that same conversation, but we'll never know because it didn't. Yeah. We'll never know. But of course, it's like you can wish you do do better. Right. Yeah. So you learn. Yeah. And I think that that's a lot of a lot of what I work with, with starseeds especially, are these conditioned patterns that they've picked up. Mm. And I think that that unwillingness to face them in a way that sees through the lens of love Mm. Like that's the biggest barrier that people have to unlocking, like living through their true and authentic self. Amen. Yeah. Cause I mean, it is really, really easy to sit back and say, well, I had this lived experience and I have all these insecurities because my dad 
treated me this way, right? Mm -hmm. But we were talking about accountability and agency. And if you're able to view someone else's actions as actually not being motivated from a dark place and you see them from a good place instead, that really opens up this door to examine what is there here for me to heal or unpack. Yeah. And I do talk about, like, I talk about dark force energy and energetics because that is something that is like inherently intertwined with AI. And there's like mm -hmm. a lot of stuff that we're working through on that. But when you move that to the side and you mm -hmm. look at, okay, we're, we're dealing with humanity here. That's one thing that like, I think we've had this collective reckoning on over the last year is like canceling people or, you know, not seeing people as being willing to grow or change or learn or whatever. And all of that is like motivated from us being unwilling to see exactly what you were talking about. Like what's the opposite side of the coin here? Like, is there another reason other than like our shared perception that someone might have said this or done this or what have you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very interesting because even like if you go into like sex shaming, right, mm -hmm. is and with shame and yeah, with the whole can cancel culture thing, if people want, I did a podcast about that actually just because I was like, okay, I got to say something because it's so <laughs> fear-based. Yeah. But um, even like Brene Brown, who is like I won't mention politic political spectrum right but from her standpoint like she's a shame specialist and I listened to this episode and what she said I mean she dislikes Trump very much mm -hmm. but what she said is like shaming doesn't work mm -hmm. she's like it literally like if you want to change behavior you can't shame yeah. and it was it was interesting because you mentioned it was at, it was in January after the whole um, capital storming and she's like shaming people for doing that is not going to change their behavior yeah and so yeah yep. it's so yeah it's just interesting of like whatever your truth is or whatever you know mm -hmm. is like whether it's yourself or other people and coming from love and compassion is yeah that we won't we won't break the loop or if we continue to shame and use fear Mm -hmm. But that goes back to dark energy and like, how, <laughs> right, of like, that's how, quote unquote, they want it is right. so we do stay in that loop. Right. But then then we think about who are they? Like, who are they really? What would you say? I would say that it can be, it could be anyone. It could be you or me if we allow ourselves to Oof. operate from that low vibration. And then that brings the element of compassion into it. Ah, you know? I love like that's, that. that's the thing that, that I've been coming face to face with over and over again when I am unpacking and thinking about this singularity timeline that we're on. It's like, who are they? Well, they are, we are the creators of this. Uh, like okay. everything that we're about to face, we have created ourselves to face. And part of the reason why it is going to be 
such an energetically daunting task of remembering what is authentic and what is inauthentic is because a lot of the energetics that have been associated with like cultivating technology that has human sentience has been motivated by those lower vibrational emotions. You know, it's, it's yeah. motivated by feeling this sense that we need to be moving faster. Like we need to be more productive. Our cadence needs to be faster. That growth and prosperity are mutually exclusive. Like all of these little things you know, that's motivated out of a very, very deep sense of the fear that what we have now in the present moment is not enough. Mm -hmm. So if you let yourself, you know, sink into that place where there's an emptiness, there's a void, there's something inside of you that is always seeking that will never be fulfilled because there is no cognizance of everything that you already have here right now. That's they. That's mm. who that's who that energetic uh. is. And it's a byproduct of something that we have created and agreed to experience on some level. Yeah, that's interesting because there's a spectrum and nuance and degrees of that. But I, I like how you said it could be us because yeah, I, I could even say, well, I have contributed to that in some way. Mm -hmm. You know, as far as like the distortion and I even you said something in this in this conversation that I was like, oh, I'm still like have an inauthentic view in this way. Right. And it's like, yeah, it's just continuing, continual, continuous remembering. And so mm -hmm. I like how you bring that in because it does actually bring more compassion mm -hmm. for self and for others. Yeah, we there are a few star seeds that are in my community that I've worked with that have had, I would say like a really close understanding of, you know, there's this concept of like reptilian energy. Yeah. And so that's like something that we tend to lump dark force energy into is like yeah. reptilians or archons or, you know, what have you. And they have like come forward and said, these are beings that just want to be loved. They're doing exactly it. what they're programmed to do. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're literally doing all they knew how to. Yes. Just like your dad. Exactly. Exactly. So it could, I mean, it can be any, anyone, anything. There's no, there's no division here from at least my perspective. <laughs> I love that. Well, there we go. That was <laughs> I loved how you <laughs> asked the question and all the all the things. What's the best way for people to intentionally connect with you? Mm. So my website is www.thestarseedcoach.com. I am also intermittently on Instagram, although I am very slow to respond to messages because... That's just how I roll, but please reach out to me. My Instagram handle is the starseed coach. And I would say those are probably the best, best ways to engage with me. And we'll link the quiz so people can go. Yes. Take it. Yes. I, have you ever had, do you have an option where it's like, sorry, you're a human. Like if they take the quiz, <laughs> <laughs> I actually, so I do have like a little mini quiz hmm. that I haven't linked in a while that 
is just kind of meant to spark curiosity of mm. are you a star seed okay, and there okay. there is an earth soul yeah. because there are you know earth souls are here as like the primal frequency ambassadors of what it means to be human Love it. and as star seeds like we're just here learning from them and mm. getting to like take part in the richness of their experience. And so I've had people ask me like, is it okay if I'm not a star seed? I'm yeah. like, yeah, it's totally <laughs> okay. You know, like whatever way that you want to experience the truth of who you are and the truth of how you can access our collective consciousness. Like, you know, we talked earlier about things that are a little bit difficult, like me actually having to identify with the term starseed. Mm -hmm. It's like, yes, I know that that's what I am and that's a shared experience, but sometimes it is a little bit difficult because a lot of the principles that I work through, that our community works through, that are addressed with the starchetypes, like they are inherently human experiences too. Mm -hmm. And so I wouldn't want for somebody to feel like this isn't accessible to them or applicable in some way, even if they're speaking like, a slightly different dialect of the same language. Yeah. Or even just going back to the point of like being not accepted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What we talked about earlier. I love that. Well, thank you. This has been, what's the right word? <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Activating. Oh, emotional, heartwarming, inspiring. So lovely. So like, thank you. Thank you. For just, yeah, for just showing up. Like, I appreciate it. This was so cool. I mean, I never have expectations. Like, I might have something like, okay, I got to ask about this and this. Like, maybe have two things. But it's like, boom. Like, just that was a creation. So thank you for co-creating with me. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate you just opening up this space. You know it. Adios. All right, y'all, if you have not already, make sure you go connect with Searsha. All of her links are in the description. Go to her website, go take that quiz that we talked about. And make sure if you haven't already, subscribe, you know, do all the podcasty things that people usually ask you to do, but do it because you feel the call to leave a review if you love this episode. If, if you love this podcast and you want to reciprocate then leaving a review helps the show get seen by other people who are searching for the truth and answers that they already have inside of them. So just leave a review. Um, if you know a past version of yourself who is looking for the answers could benefit from this. And we deeply appreciate it. And if you also feel called, you can leave a donation for in support of the show. There's a PayPal link in the show notes as well. Thank you for being here. You being here is the main thing because you are putting energy into these things into the world and we appreciate that i love you you truly are amazing i'll see you soon my friend